we aim to become the sustainable feedstock of uh, more marginal lands um, and produce, provide the bio-industry of the future with this mm-hmm. sustainable feedstock. It's not only gas, we, could, we can produce vegan leather from the cactus, we can right. produce different types of fiber and extract for paper pulp production, we can also use the cactus for other type of fermentation products, so you know different types of amino acids and organic acids that enter into the composition of other kind of um, industrial products um, right. that are biosourced, and also the feed. Uh, uh, the fermentation for protein production and soya bean replacement mm-hmm. so it has a lot of uh, potential benefit and let's say it's our sugar factory for fermentation of bio-industries uh, in um, marginal land hello and welcome to rethink what matters the podcast dedicated to aligning the economy with the ecology and everyone for improved business performance, stronger families, and a greener, cooler planet. And today I'm joined by Tony Dean and Axel Therese of Barren Energy, Western Cape, South Africa. And we're going to be discussing cactus to gas. If you could tell us about Barren Energy then, please, Tony, that'd be great. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us on the podcast today, Paul. Um, as you know, I'm Australian and I found my way to uh, South Africa. And uh, the company was at that stage working with um, big miners, Anglo and Rio Tinto, and they were looking for ways to reduce their carbon footprint, etc. Barren Energy uh, went to Mexico in 2018 looking for a solution for biomass to make biogas from a range of uh, various feedstocks and in the process we found cactus and cactus Mm -hmm. through all the testing proved to be our number one choice and so we said okay I think that's the right solution where can we do that in South Africa Barron Energy found a property in the Free State which is in the middle of the country and it's very close to the University of the Free State that actually know the most about cactus in South Africa. We found a farm that had been used as a research station for 20 plus years. The farmer, same age as me, 60, he was born on the farm and cactus is part of his life. And we were fortunate to be able to purchase the property and take over his initial plantation of 40 hectares on a total area a little over 1,000 hectares, and we've since in, increased the farm size to 200 hectares under plantation and still growing. Okay, so, so why South Africa and why cactus? Well, I guess uh, one of the reasons we are actually in South Africa with cactus is Australia has spent the last 95 years trying to eradicate what we often refer to as prickly pear, and prickly pear is often confused with spineless apuntia and we are growing spineless apuntia so it's not an invasive weed species which Australia had to get rid of and so if we mention the generic term cactus in Australia it's a no-go zone and so Mm -hmm. South Africa uh, had a modest amount of cactus already under plantation for 
fodder supplement uh, to the cattle industry. Um, and right. there was some fruit demand for, they call it Turks Bay in Afrikaans, if I pronounce that correctly. And they really enjoy eating the fruit of the plant. Uh, so we decided that South Africa then, since we already had an energy management business here in South Africa, we would tack this into that business and go for the biomass to make biogas. And that was um, the journey. And so I moved to South Africa in 2020, right on COVID. Uh, and right. we really haven't looked back since. It's been a terrific journey. And our issue is getting the farm into what we call a source farm. So we can cut the clad oats, paddles, whatever people want to call it, so we can plant them and propagate them. And that's what we're chasing now is the, the quantity of those to do that process. Did you have, so did you have to actually do a lot of work on the farm to get it up and running? Yeah, so uh, when we bought the farm, as I said earlier, it was 40 hectares. It was effectively a fruit orchard and it's planted 1,000 plants per hectare. Uh, but yeah. for us to maximize the, the land availability, uh, we need to increase the density to 20,000 plants per hectare. And so right. last year we planted 1 million platodes, which we cut from the farm. This year right. we will plant a million again. And then the following year in 2024, from our previous plantings, we'll be able to complete the 500 hectare planting uh, using 10 million cloud oats we cut off our own farm. And that's the difficulty in South Africa and anywhere else to do cactus planting. Where do you get the raw material from? So we've developed our own farm to get the raw material. If you could just tell us a little bit okay. more then about the process of converting cactus to gas. Um, can you do this with any type of cactus? Are you growing your own cactus? Okay. So, Paul, the... Um... Basically, the cactus that we are using are from the Opuntia family, and we are using spineless varieties of these cactuses that are planted in high, high density. And our purpose is not to produce the fruit and then use the fruit. It's to plant these crops in high density, have the highest amount of pads, you know, the, the, the cactuses that have those hand-shaped hand pads. Yeah. And those cactuses, when they are uh, managed as a normal crop, but in environments that doesn't enable other crops to survive, we are able to produce th those, um, let's say, a meter and a half high cactuses in less than 18 months in the first year and then it's a perennial crop that will yield continuously every year for the next 20 15 to 20 years so the cactus is harvested with some machinery um, those machinery exist now and that cactus is brought to a shredder that chop and turn that cactus into a juice just as what you would have in a carrot juicer right. and those, those juices get into a big tank the big tank is maintained at 37 to 40 degrees uh, temperature similar to the body temperature of a cow and then it's inoculated with some animal manure a small amount of manure uh, and those bacteria that we have also in our intestines 
digest the sugars that we have in the cactus and then release biogas. That biogas has 30 to 40% CO2 and the remaining is methane, biomethane. So um, that gas can be then directed um, either to produce electricity or to be separated from the CO2 and the gas and uh, be used for further industrial uh, purposes, just like Tony mentioned. So it's a fantastic feedstock. It's one of the cheapest way of capturing carbon from the atmosphere as well. Right. We, okay. could, uh, we could get into that subject a bit later if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So could you tell us a little bit more about the setup process of a plantation then? What, what inputs are required to get to get one of these plantations going? So uh, the setup uh, is we have a land, an initial land preparation. We establish, uh, without getting too much into details, the pads are cut. The pads are established in a, a, a row, um, like a furrow, where the right. pads are established, touching one another. And then that you have, let's say, a continuous line of pads that start developing the root system. Right. Then, obviously, the land, depending on the soil conditions, is adjusted. You know, if it's too um, acidic, then you have to bring some uh, limestone on it. And, um, and then provide uh, some of the initial uh, nutrients and then we have to bring uh, manure that is being spread onto the plantation because uh, the plant responds very well to organic fertilization because it uh, absorbs, it has a better water retention capacity and releasing right. all the nutrients that is needed for the roots. So the cactus then develops its root system that it has a very shallow root system 90% okay. of the roots are in the top 15 centimeters, right. and the roots can go up to 6 meters. The strategy of this plant is that 15% only of 7 to 10% of its biomass that it produces annually in its in, is in its root system. Most right. of plants have 30-40% of its biomass that, it's, that is underground. And um, the plant reacts like, okay, once there is, let's say, erratic, let's say you have five millimeters of rainfall, the cactus is able to uh, use it and store it in its biomass. And because it's, uh, um, it has a CAM photosynthetic uh, pathway compared yep. to C3 and C4 photosynthetic pathway, uh, um, our listeners could Google that and yep. learn more about it i don't i won't go into the details of it but yep the um cam photosynthetic pathway enables the plant to do its um photosynthesis during the day but it do its gas exchange of co2 and water exchange during the night while normal plants do it do it during the day and because right. in let's say semi-arid landscape and plateau landscape the temperature is lower during the night you lose much less water from evapotranspiration than you would during the day. What are the carbon sequestration properties of cactus then? I think you suggested then they're, they're very good, they're very high. Okay. Yeah, so basically just to give you an, uh, 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 an insight on the potential, if we are targeting places that are, let's say, between 300 to 600 millimeter of annual rainfall, which is right. considered a semi-arid landscape, there is millions of square kilometers of that type of land that is currently used for 
extensive grazing usually because the rain rainfall is too variable to be able to sustain annual crops. And usually the carbon sequestration of the, these kind of habitats or uh, rangelands are and uh, are around three, four tons of uh, carbon of per hectare per year. Mm-hmm. While um, our cactus, if we bring the nutrients that they need, the macro and micronutrients that they need to develop, um, and we manage them properly, we are able to capture um, around uh, 30, 40 to 50 tons of CO2 equivalent per hectare per year, which is kind of a five, like say, up to tenfold carbon capture capacity which is a main difference between planting trees or developing bioenergy in temperate or tropical and subtropical climates, where let's say you have a forest growing and so on, uh, our, uh, let's say, crop enable to turn low potential and low carbon capture potential uh, areas into high carbon capture areas. So we turn a semi-arid landscape into... um, uh, capturing, let's say, low amount of CO2 to being able to capture uh, the same amount of CO2 as a temperate uh, forest. And not only that, so the cactus capture that CO2 and as it's basically is being digested in a gentle way, there is no burning, all the nutrients stay in that big tank and returns back to the soil. Yep. We extract only carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen from, from that biomass. And uh, the CO2 that we capture, it's one of the cheapest way of capturing CO2 for either reuse, you know, for making bioplastics, synthetic, uh, synthetic fuels, or using it for any other um, um, industrial applications, and right. having the biomethane on top of that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice way of not only car- capturing carbon, but also producing uh, a transformed solar energy in, in, in a storable way uh, in the form of biomethane. Okay, all right. And how does it compare to other types of biofuels or biogases in terms of, um, you know, in terms of how efficiently you can convert it, the energy that's needed to complete, you know, to, to actually do the conversion? Okay, so basically um, uh, the highest yielding, energy crop that we know today is palm oil. Palm oil produce five to 6,000 liters of diesel equivalent energy. Mm-hmm. We are able to produce 6,000 liters of diesel equivalent energy uh, in areas receiving between four and 500 millimeters of rainfall. Right. So, but palm oil, you need to grow palm oil in area that was rainforest before right. uh, uh, receiving uh, 1,500 millimeter of rainfall. So we're able to produce the same amount of energy as palm oil in areas receiving uh, around three times less rainfall and uh, that are semi-arid. Okay. How long does the process take then from extracting the, uh, the cactus out of the ground, if you like, you know, uh, to mm. actually producing the gas? Um, this is a process that uh, we... Once we chop the cactus and put it in the digester, we um, obtain, uh, we digest the biomass in a a time that is less than six days. So we extract most of the gas. 
but the retention time is a little bit longer. What is also interesting that we could also um, point is that cactus planted in high density capture between 8 to 15 percent of the annual rainfall in its biomass. Uh, cactus is 90 to 95 percent water. So uh, let's say if you have 400 millimeters of rainfall, mm -hmm. uh, we might end up having um, 40 millimeters of that rainfall that is stored in the biomass. Uh, that creates a vegetal cover in these semi-arid landscapes and act like a natural dam that we create in semi-arid landscapes. And that has a very interesting effect on uh, the biodiversity that we can sustain. Because we produce much more biomass, we have much more biomass for some reptiles, some mammals, like ground squirrels, um, turtles or tortoise, and um, uh, game birds, and mm -hmm. all what sustain that food chain above that. Okay. And also the underground biomass, you know, like earthworms and or termites that might benefit from the higher availability of biomass and water in that kind of challenging landscapes. Okay, so this is an advantage you're providing during the 18 months that these cactus are growing then, is that right? Sorry? So th this is an advantage, uh, a benefit that you're providing whilst those cactus are growing during those, the 18 months that they're growing. Exactly, exactly. So like a small percentage of that biomass could be eaten by like the wildlife or the benefit and all the digested, all that water that is in the cactus that has been digested turns mm -hmm. back as a slurry back to mm -hmm. the soil. So what right. we, we bring, basically, we bring all the nutrients that is needed, often in the, in the organic form to the yep. cactus uh, in the first two years. And once the cactus has started flourishing, we, we make the first harvest 18 months after the, the plantation and mm -hmm. then every 12 months. And obviously, let's say if you have a plantation that is 365 hectares, that would yep. mean that we harvest one hectare every day. And, and all that nutrients mm -hmm. go back to the soil. So we have nearly, so it's not exactly, but it's nearly closed nutrient loop. So all our phosphorus, potassium, and you know, calcium goes back into the soil. And most of the nitrogen is also our nitrogen velocity volatilization is extremely low because it's a no low low nitrogen containing plant so okay. sorry it's a little bit technical but it, no. it, it 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 it's it brings a little bit more kind of insight in a different perspective than usual you know only energy focused yeah please be technical it's great you know we want okay. the detail we want the yeah. detail it's really interesting right. to to hear that so what type so you're looking for semi-arid land Mm -hmm. um, are there particular destinations that you're looking for at the moment? Are there particular types of landowners that you're working with where you can put these plantations? Okay, so the, 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 the plantations are usually the ideal uh, areas to plant them is close to, um, let's say, if you have um, farms, let's say, you know, dairy farms, pig farms, chicken farms, you have the nutrients already there. And right. um, the nutrient then can be, is often not efficiently used there, especially in semi-arid landscapes. And we can basically provide food security by providing feed as well for cattle. So a cow is able to have 40% of its diet composed with cactus. And that reduces drastically the need for uh, annual crops 
that compete with food security. So we are able to provide 40% of that food. Uh, there is now new research where we can use the dried form of the cactus for poultry and even fermented to have higher protein percentage mm -hmm. and uh, feed it uh, to uh, monogastric animals, just like poultry or pigs. And for pigs, we can also feed it as a slurry. And um, that enables us to get away in areas uh, where we use, let's say, maize and soya bean and secure those um, livestock operations that are situated in, in that kind of uh, rainfall area. Uh, right. while improving the uh, habitat um, of these areas. But we can also target very marginal land, uh, degraded land by mining operations and revegetate areas uh, that are um, uh, yeah, degraded uh, because it's a pioneer plant and it's often misunderstood as an invasive plant because the spinous varieties obviously proliferate where no other type of plant can develop. Mm -hmm. And often what happens, certain studies also show that in Morocco, that cactus plantation that were established 60 years ago becomes mm -hmm. nurse plants for argon trees. You know, the argon oil that is extremely uh, valuable uh, cosmetic oil. Yep. Uh, um, the, the, the cactus... A acts like a nurse plant, the small little tree gets protected by the cactus, right. the organ tree then take over, and mm -hmm. it facilitates regeneration of forest in that kind of habitat. It's also a plant that is being used, has been used for centuries in Sicily, around Mount Etna, uh, so when the volcano used to erupt, and that mm -hmm. you had lava, Yep. Uh, farmers used to take those pads and establish those pads in the rocky basaltic landscape, have that cactus grow for 20 years where it accumulates organic matter and dust and so on, and basically generate that soil layer that is needed for establishing grapes. And if you look at uh, grape culture in Sicily, Mm -hmm. They they develop it in or, or in, on Mon Etna up to seven hundred meters. The reason why you don't have grapes above that level is because cactus is tolerant to frost up to seven hundred meters in Sicily, right. and and uh, which is a very interesting fact. So it's a pioneer plant generating soil and generating soil five to ten times faster than any other crop. Wow, that is a you know, that is a huge thing because I know that. Uh... Um, soil is a, is a big problem, isn't it? The, the soil exactly. erosion. Soil erosion is a huge problem, and uh, having a plant that is able to withstand very marginal, shallow soils and generating that organic matter, mm -hmm. enabling other plants to establish, is a huge advantage for increasing the resilience of our agro ecosystems. Right. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the biodiversity side then of this, Axel? Yeah, so the biodiversity, so our way of uh, maintaining kind of a resilient cropping system on our approach is to have the cactus, instead of having the cactus on a, a monoculture, 
and having, let's say, a desert of cactus and raising all other kind of plants because we want the cactus, is we use cover crops in between the inter-rows of cactus Mm-hmm. To fix nitrogen, we plant them in a, in, a, in, a, in a mixed way. So we have a whole diversity of annual crops that are planted um, or semi-annual plants planted in between the, the, the cactuses. Most yep. of them are nitrogen fixers. Those right. nitrogen fixing plants fix nitrogen, provide food also for all the so- soil food web. Mm-hmm. And um, we use those plants as well as a mulch. And that mulch basically um, enables the cactus to thrive even in a, in a, in a better way. And those, those plants that are planted in between instead of grass, um, have most of them have flowers. And so they are extremely beneficial for pollinating um, insects. Mm-hmm. So we, we are able to sustain a certain level of pollinating insects uh, in our cultures. And right. we also aim to establish... Uh, hedgerows of um, uh, native plants every um, you know every couple of hundred meters so that we decrease the wind speed and enable for local wildlife to thrive in our plantations so we 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 are planning on basically planting a minimum of eight thousand trees per square kilometer of cactus planted which would enable a lot of um, you know birds and mammals to make uh, uh, you know, their strive hab- hab- in those kind of habitats. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds really amazing. Thanks for hey. sharing that, Axel. Um, so, back, so what are the real challenges to this for you then in establishing this business? What uh, what have you had to overcome? So so I can I can say, um, I can answer if you want quickly. Yeah. So the main challenge is uh, this, ca- this cactus crop has been used, there's more than 600,000 hectares of uh, cactus planted in Northeast Brazil for forage purposes. So they use it for dairy cows as a feed for cattle. And it, it enables that uh, whole region to be more resilient to climate because they have extremely variable rainfall that can vary from 200 millimeters to 600 millimeters. And um, these high-density, intensively managed cactus plantations, the technique has been developed by a guy called Paolo Suassuna in Northeast Brazil. And Paolo Suassuna developed it around 20 years ago. And um, the first machinery um, to harvest cactus has been developed and put onto market this year in 2023 in Northeast Brazil. So the main problem that was, let's say, uh, hindering the development of high-density cactus plantation is, okay, we plant this by hand already. Um, How do we harvest it? And the harvest, okay, it's a manageable thing if you have small holders with one, two, three to five hectares of cactus, chop it, bring it to to their cows and feed it to their cattle. But nobody wanted to develop and adopt that kind of um it's let's say the industrialization when i say industrialization is all the mechanization that comes with it has been developed relatively recently in fact very recently uh, compared to other crops like maize lucerne and that Mm -hmm. kind of um uh, crops but now that with all the climate change and you know adaptation this 
plant um, with the new mechanization and so on, and mm -hmm. the adoption in a larger scale and the, the, the bottleneck was the mechanical harvest. And now we have a machinery that can harvest up to 150 tons of cactus per hour. So mm -hmm. we are able, let's say, with a machine that would run 10 hours, be able to harvest 1,500 tons of green cactus every single day. Right. So, yeah. Is this biofuel displacing other biofuels because it's either cheap, cheap or it has you know, better properties in, in some other way? No, it doesn't. Our aim is not to it's not to uh, replace another biofuel or something mm -hmm. like this. We don't. We just want to be able to provide um, sustainable fuel, sustainable feed, sustainable food in areas that are where there is no other opportunities, or uh, and, and 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 create that job employment opportunities where they really lack. So that's interesting. So we, 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 it is a bit broader, isn't it? And you have been talking about that. So we're not really just talking about cactus to gas then, are we? We are talking about cactus to feeds and foods and biofuels. and Yeah, exactly. So imagine uh, we are pushing now in the world into biodegradable, sustainable feedstocks. Mm -hmm. And most of the, you might have noticed, you know, the cork, of the new biodegradable corks that they develop for wineries or right. um, uh, packaging solutions. All mm -hmm. of these are driving the need for um, uh, biodegradable feedstock. Like, okay, yes, we can use forest, but up to a certain point. Um, right. we, and the other uh, feedstock that we use are either corn that we turn into starch, the starch is turned into sugars, and the sugars are then fed to bacteria to produce bioplastics or acid that turn into bioplastics or that kind of things, and um, sugar cane and okay. sugar beet. But if you think about maize, sugar cane, and sugar beet, all of these crops need regular rainfall when they are growing, and uh, they can be only planted in certain areas. Right. While cactus has 30% easily digestible sugars, yep. it has very low lignin, very lo quite low cellulose. It has only 15% cellulose. Right. And it has, um, it's, let's say, we aim to become the sustainable feedstock of uh, more marginal lands um, and produce, provide the bio-industry of the future with mm -hmm. this sustainable feedstock. It's not only gas, we, could, we can produce, you know, people might have heard people producing uh, veg, vegan leather from the cactus. We can right. produce different types of fiber and extract for paper pulp production. We can also use the cactus for other type of fermentation products. So, you know, different types of amino acids and organic acids that enter into the composition of other kind of um, industrial products. Um, right. that are biosourced and also the feed uh, uh, the fermentation for protein production and soya bean mm -hmm. replacement mm -hmm. so it has a lot of uh, potential benefit and let's say it's our sugar factory for fermentation of bio industries uh, in um, marginal land okay so you're working in very hot areas <laughs> and I'm assuming that there's quite a lot of energy involved in this process mm -hmm. but does it because you're working in these hot areas? Does that mean that you can generate your own energy? You don't need to take anything from the local grid. 
Uh, well, we, uh, one of the beautiful things that we can develop that we're working on is also one option is you have, let's say, we grow this cactus where there is a lot of sunlight. Okay, solar PV is one of the cheapest way of producing electricity today. Yep. But what happened, what, the beauty of the cactus is that we are able to turn around one to two percent uh, of the solar radiation into methane. So, okay, people might say, oh, but solar panels are 14% efficient. Yes, they are certain 14% efficient, but they, they are not in a storable, it's not a storable energy. So what you can do is have solar panels providing electricity during the day, and when you, 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 or you have clouds or that you have no electricity, you can supply that stored form of solar energy, which is the biomethane produced from cactus, and have a stable electricity um, solutions um, right. or uh, for lower tech um, lower tech decarbonized tra transportation we hmm. have CNG uh, you know compressed natural gas well this would be compressed biomethane and we're able to run our tractors that we use on mm -hmm. biomethane we are able to uh, use that gas as well for the interrow weeding um, we're able to use that energy, um, let's say, have our be autonomous in that sense. So if, if you could just tell us a little bit more about how is the biogas being used after it's being sold, for example, or at, after it comes out of your digester? Yes, Paul. So uh, we have different uh, potential options for the use of biogas. So the simplest way is to use the biogas and to replace natural gas, paraffin as a fuel to burn in boilers. That's the first option. No separation of CO2 and methane. The biogas is directly raw into um, burners and we, let's say, pasteurize milk or we use it for any other kind of heat purposes. Second option is to direct that biogas that is being filtered from sulfur and other kind of, let's say, small particles and then it's directed to a gas generator, and that gas generator is being run with the biogas, and we produce heat and power, so electricity, uh, to provide um, the electricity locally. Um, the heat and then can be in the form of you know, steam or hot water. Um, the third or first, fourth options are we take the biogas, we direct it, um, into a separation unit where we separate the CO2 and we separate the biomethane. So now the biomethane is a complete, uh, mo molecularly, it's, it's, it's equal to natural gas. So right. it can be either compressed into CNG, compressed natural gas or compressed biomethane, or it can be injected into the gas grid, which is being done in certain European countries, mm -hmm. or it can be uh, uh, cool down and turn into liquefied biomethane to transport it into further distances. And uh, a fourth option is also ANG, which is absorbed natural gas, which are bottles filled with um, active carbon and uh, the biomethane then can be stored in lower pressure than CNG bottles. Right. Those CNG bottles, um, so obviously we can use it to replace LPG and other uh, um, uh, fuel uh, uses and all the uh, different um, 
uses that we can do with natural gas. But the beauty of it is that we can run buses, tractors, cars with biomethane. So, for example, Italy has 1.4 million CNG-powered cars, and uh, we can see a lot of them in European cities, you know, CNG or biomethane-powered buses. Right. Um, to reduce the carbon footprint. And then we have, a, let's say, a fifth or sixth uh, step, which is directing that biogas into fisher crop units. fisher crop is a technology that was developed in the past early century in Germany. Mm-hmm. And the fisher crop unit is basically pressure, uh, turning that biogas uh, potentially to synthetic um, uh, um, gas and we use a catalyst to produce synthetic fuels. But because right. the CO2 is from renewable source, and because the biomethane is from a renewable source, we would be able to produce sustainable aviation fuel, so biokerosene uh, or synthetic biodiesel or synthetic petroleum. So right. that's the and Today, we have fisher crop units that can u- work with 70% efficiency and um, it can really be very interesting be, because we would be able to produce more than 6,000 liters of um, synthetic aviation fuel per hectare in semi-arid landscapes, just to give you an idea. Right, right, right. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Axel, I really appreciate your time on the podcast. You're welcome. We learned, we learned so much about um, your business and turning, you know, cactus into gas into into feedstock and food as well it's been really 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 interesting we've learned a lot thank you thank you very much for your time thank you very much paul